Hey all, welcome back to another episode of the Game at Nomicon podcast. Right now we're going to kick off a several episode segment that is going to break down and talk a little bit about one of the the Game at Nomicon games. Honestly, our first game, Party First. Now, that name has uh, struck a chord with some folks with a much more, let's say, uh, college frat party or concert uh, sort of vibe, and that was actually not the intent. This is actually referring to a political party, uh, the Communist Party in this case, because Party First, as I often describe it, is a game set in an alternate 1980s Cold War period. So that is kind of the hook. That That's the, the catchphrase, uh, to put the party first, remember to keep the party first, that type of thing. So it it is a game that takes a lot of things that we would recognize in our world uh, and twist them in different ways. I believe the rule book mentions it as a kind of dark funhouse mirror version of our own world. And I think that is a pretty accurate way to describe what the vibe is that we're going for. It it's dark, it's but it's still recognizable. It it's twisted, but you can still find uh, the touchstones of what is there. So the broad strokes of what has happened in that world uh, may seem very similar to what has taken place in our own world, but certain names and places may be changed, years may drift back and forth. It's a little bit funny, fuzzy rather. Uh, it's it's not a direct one-for-one ratio between them. Now, some of those may still be recognizable, and if, for instance, we do wind up using uh, the name of anything or anyone from the real world, that is almost certainly unintentional. Most things have been tweaked, and we want it to feel familiar, but for folks to have the freedom to uh, play around with things as they want, to to tweak and alter for their fit, and and to feel like they have the freedom to have their game impact this world without being on the rails, so to speak, of the existing real world and real history. So in that case, uh, there are touchstones here that folks may recognize uh, the long war, as it's called here in uh, the world of Party First, which we have dubbed the Twilight World. Uh, The long war has some similarities to uh, a never-ending World War I uh, that drifted on through the years of World War II, maybe not with a hot and heavy fighting the whole time, but uh, it is, it's much more singular of a thing than in our world. As well, uh, the continent of Europa that has been um, afflicted with this war is very similar to ours. There are nations with 
uh, analogs such as uh, the Anglian Commonwealth, which is uh, strongly similar to the United Kingdom, uh, and so on. Uh, Tearsland uh, in place uh, as the leader of one side of uh, the forces in the war, and uh, the Federated States and its allies on the other. Uh, the Federated States, of course, uh, is on a separate continent. Now, our real focus in Party First, however, is on a particular nation uh, known initially as just the Rus, uh, or the land of the Rus. And uh, it obviously bears strong resemblances to uh, Russia of our own world, which uh, eventually, of course, had its communist revolution and, uh, you know, participated uh, on the side of the Allies in World War II and, and so on. And as, as I said, the broad strokes of this are very similar in the Twilight world. Uh, here, it has formed uh, an entity called the USRA, United uh, so Socialist Republic Alliance, uh, which acts as the Eastern Bloc of this world. And this is actually where you play uh, your characters by default within the context of this society. So it takes uh, similar familiar things from the 80s, but flips it uh, to a perspective that... Uh, is maybe not seen as often, particularly in the tabletop gaming space. Now, that said, this is a, a dark world, right? Things have not always turned out well. The things that go bump in the night do exist in this world. They are not uh, public knowledge. Uh, the real truth of what is happening or has happened is frequently squashed or quelched or hidden in some way, because uh, really letting everyone know that is certain to upset this neat and orderly society. So they exist, uh, but they are kind of on hidden and on the fringes. As well, those in power, uh, both in the USRA and elsewhere, as I think we will detail later, uh, are generally not in it for the right reasons. Uh, they are after power in one form or another, and the ways that they uh, choose to <laughs> gain or hold on to that power. Now, the players are generally considered uh, to have um, some level of heroic, or everyday at least, characters. So while you are uh, citizens of this nation, and you may very well be true believers. Uh, the system itself um, will cover a wide variety of citizens, and everybody is going to have a different uh, outlook on things and their place and whether it fits for them or not. So those in power uh, generally are corrupt, right? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, as the saying goes. So... Uh, that there will be forces acting against you uh, that you may or may not agree with uh, in general principle. 
Now, that said, the, that is a very quick overview of the world uh, as it stands. We're going to delve into that more in other books and, and releases. We've had several PDF-only supplements that start spreading things out. We get more details on several of the, uh, the Twilight sites that are uh, secret projects and experiments and things uh, going on. Uh, we've also got some details on such on uh, Cybernia, the um, the cold kind of tundra wasteland to the north uh, part of the USRA, and we are about to kickstart uh, starting February eighth, Twilight War, which is going to be a supplement all specifically about the, the Cold War interactions and spies and things like that. So there's going to be more about Tearsland. There's going to be more about uh, its division into East and West and its capital, Bearberg, uh, and so on. So we'll get more there planned much later down the, the road. I'll go ahead and tease another project titled Profit First, uh, which is going to flip the script uh, and give us some insight into uh, the West of this world uh, and their own ways uh, that they have taken a dark angle on the things that we know. Now, that's all about the world. So what about the game itself, mechanically speaking? Now, this is a custom D6 system. It's our own system. Uh, we've dubbed this the, the Tension Engine. So it is not based on uh, anything else. I know uh, very popular other systems with, you know, SRDs floating around, open licensing and that type of thing. It's not powered by the apocalypse or um, forged in the dark or anything along those lines. It's our own D6 system. But I do admit it does owe some nods to, uh, say, 7C 2nd Edition, Powered by the Apocalypse, uh, Storyteller. It, it's kind of an amalgamation a little bit of um, myself, Will, and my uh, cohort, Brett, who designed the initial game with me, uh, of our experiences in some of these different systems. So what it kind of comes down to in the system is... Um, that you are going to be rolling a pool of dice. It's roll and keep based on an attribute and a skill that are selected, but for the particular situation. Uh, and you're going to be keeping two of those and pairing them up against a target number of some kind. Now, sometimes that target number is going to be uh, inherent to the situation in the environment. And sometimes that is going to be uh, opposed by some other adversary of some kind, be that human or monster or potentially beast. So uh, they'll also be rolling their own pools and constructing something against you. Now, this uh, target number for the environment, though, kind of zooms in on one of the aspects of our system that we really, really like that offers uh, a lot of the pacing of the game, which is the tension pool. Now, some of the thought process of the game here kind of started with uh, thoughts about various horror films, right? And the way that tension and suspense really builds in that film, and eventually it, it breaks and you get some downward, uh, some falling action, and it may build again, right? It 
in most of these films this happens multiple times it may be early in the film where you see somebody struggling to open a door and desperately trying to get their keys uh in it and having trouble doing so only to just barely make it in the nick of time and escape uh you know in their car or something and you get that downbeat and you are relieved of that pressure for a while. So the tension system in Party First tries to replicate that. So as you are rolling, you are going to be generating tension points, which go into a pool that the DM can use, GM rather, can use. And uh, those are a meta currency for them to power a, a number of effects for adversaries and the like or to boost their roles. But it's also going to be uh, changing the pool available to the environment so that you can replicate that sort of thing where on a, any normal given day, it's extremely easy to get your keys out of your pocket, to unlock your car door, to get in, start the car, and leave. That would not require a roll. But as the narrative tension builds, that can become more harrowing, more desperate. So uh, the game replicates that as the pool of tension grows, the difficulty of those types of environmental tasks will become more and more difficult. And uh, even, uh, say, you are attempting to do that. You're attempting to grab the keys. You fumble. You don't, you don't hit it. There is an ability to try that again in this game, uh, much like you'll see those characters try over and over. But the catch is, to try it again, tension goes up by one. Uh, each time you try that again, it will go up again and again and again. So it, it does actually become harder, even though you can try more. And so either you need to bail out, come up with a different plan. Maybe you succeed, uh, even with the difficulty, maybe through a power or ability or something. Or perhaps the, the big kicker here is perhaps tension will break. So when the tension pool gets up to 10, uh, it actually breaks, meaning that something surprising, big, unexpected happens. Um, in the game, in the core game, we do experiment with different ways to tackle this in uh, other supplements, and, and we've got uh, some cool expansions to it coming in Twilight War. But in the core game, you've got a tension table of six possible results so that there's some variability um, and suspense there and what will happen. So when tension breaks, the DM is going to roll a D6, and they're going to find out what is going to happen that's, that's bad, that fits into the tropes of the horror genre, um, that something, you say that's, um, you know, the zombies, uh, a horde of zombies come around the corner of the building, or um, the killer does slash at you and hit your arm, or maybe um, you are revealed to be infected with some kind of uh, virus that is, um, you know, hurting you. Uh, there, there's a variety of things here and ways that the, the GM can work that into the fiction. Uh, some of them are potentially fiction only, though uh, many of them have actual mechanical consequences in some way, uh, using up resource pools like party points or, or hurting the team's morale, that type of thing. 
So, uh, and that can happen multiple times over the course of a game. So it's kind of a neat way to recreate and enforce that. Now I've mentioned in passing some of these other pools. Uh, I don't want to detail the entire system and make you go through the nitty gritty here on this podcast, but uh, as well, there is a player-facing metacurrency party points that is a uh, offers a way to power multiple abilities, and it also has some influence on uh, how well you work as a team and whether you are really trying to go out uh, as an individual and pump up your own individual skills or if you are operating more as a team. And so you're rewarded for operating as a party uh, while you may have to spend party points to really go above and beyond as an individual. As well, the morale pool is kind of a communal health pool that uh, everybody has some uh, impetus to manage and it, it could be spent on things, but potentially could eliminate the whole team if something truly catastrophic happens to your morale pool. So th there are multiple kind of interlocking uh, resource pools, uh, in you know, including things like health and sanity that uh, players are managing and having to accept the trade-offs between them uh, their own individual actions versus the the greater good for the party, and it really really helps up the the narrative tension in those choices through mechanical tension. So there we go. I think that is enough of a broad overview of the party first core book. So I hope you will join us again. 